Good morning, and welcome to Connections Radio Show. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and as you know, our show is all about exploring a wide range of topics that challenge us to see ourselves, our community, and the world around us in ways that get us thinking, get us talking, get us imagining, get us reflecting, get us voicing new ideas, and more aware of what's going on with perhaps a wider perspective. So we have Labor Day. Now, for some of my listeners, you're listening here on Saturday, but we also will be rebroadcasting this on Monday. So uh, tell your friends, if you're listening on Saturday, to tell them to listen in on Monday. We'll be at 4 o'clock, and we'll be on the Minnesota Progressive Repartee. And we'll be looking at Labor Day. Labor Day gives us an opportunity not only to look at the present, but also the past and the future, and how the present, past, and future are all really strongly connected. And what better person to have a good conversation on this with his insights, experience, and passion is Peter Ratcliffe. Peter is the co-executive director of the Eastside Freedom Library. He also has, is a historian and worked for many years at McAllister College. Welcome, Peter. Thank you, Lori, and Good morning and happy Labor Day to everybody out there. Absolutely. It's always wonderful to have you on the first um, a Saturday, now Monday, <laughs> of the month um, to celebrate the Eastside Freedom Library and all the wonderful things that are happening there um, that honors the past as well as projects a vision into the future. Absolutely. Mutualism and community and working together in mm -hmm. very powerful ways. And for today, I thought it would be great for us to put it in historical context, Labor Day. Mm -hmm. I think so many people look at this as, oh, it's another holiday, isn't that nice? Um, but really don't understand why we'd have Labor Day. Um, and a question I have for you as you're sharing with this and why it's September, not mm -hmm. May. Yeah. Most of the world yeah. seems to celebrate uh, Labor Day in May, mm -hmm. um, but we do it in September. Uh, but help us, what, if you wouldn't mind painting the picture of the labor movement, uh, how it began, and a thumbnail of where we are today. Well, uh, thank you, Lori, and for the welcome and for the opportunity and the question. And I think that unpacking Labor Day really gets at the complexity and the richness of the history that unfortunately too few of us were taught about in school, um, but there's yet other opportunities to, to learn. So um, Labor Day originated in the United States and originated on May Day um, and was switched. That is, it, it originated in the 1880s um, as a celebration organized by a labor movement, which at that time uh, was largely led by immigrant workers, immigrants from southern, central, and eastern Europe who worked in factories. The biggest factory in the United States, which was the center of the movement, was the McCormick Harvester Works in Chicago, a place where farm equipment was made. Um, there's sort of a double revolution, a revolution in the way work was being organized in factories, and a revolution in the way farm work and agriculture uh, were being organized. And the labor movement cohered around a shared vision of an eight-hour day. And the idea of the eight-hour day was that you'd put in a good eight hours of work, get paid fairly for it, and you would have time for leisure, um, and time for self-improvement, for education, for cultural activities. Um, there was really quite a coherent vision that inspired the labor movement in the 1880s. And it, it reached a kind of culmination in the mid-1880s, led by an organization called the Knights of Labor, um, which coined the phrase, an injury to one is the concern of all, uh, so that all working people, whatever language they spoke, whatever kind of work they did, that all working people had something in common, and that all working people could advance by uniting together and acting in a collective fashion. That became so 
powerful that the president of the United States in the early 1890s, Grover Cleveland, decided to create a national holiday called Labor Day. But he put it in September. Get it away from May Day. Get it away from these associations. And, you know, I, I think as I've been thinking about Labor Day this year and have thought about it in years in the past, it, it really reflects the many levels of cultural wars in the United States. The, the cultural, cultural war of whose narrative is going to be dominant, the narrative of of the unions that saw May Day, because May Day was the beginning of the building season. May Day made sense in workers' lives. Um, and May Day connected to uh, hundreds, if not thousands-year-old tradition of, of May Day in Europe as a, as a celebration. Um, of so, new beginnings. Yes, of new beginnings, right, of spring, of right. things growing. And, and so there was that narrative being countered with the narrative being provided uh, by President Cleveland. Let's have it in September. Um, let's tie it to a different seasonal shift, the mm -hmm. shift from summer. Uh, to buckling down for the start of the school year. Mm -hmm. um, and the cultural war, which I think is so fundamental in American history, the cultural war between individualism and mutualism, between people so-called standing on their own two feet. Pulling themselves up pull, by their By their bootstraps, bootstraps, whatever the hell bootstraps are. <laughs> and how far uh, up can you go with that? <laughs> right, right. Or... You know, people having each other's back right. um, and people understanding, as Paul Wellstone said so beautifully um, long ago, we all do better when we all do better. Yeah. And, and that's an important vision. And I think that American history from the very founding of the, of, of the country and its founding as a colony of, of Great Britain in the 1600s and on has been a tension between looking out for your own self and looking out for your neighbors and, and your community. Which states' rights and federal rights. I mean, it's that whole sense of, you know, what's our plot versus, um, you know, us and them. Yeah. But a question that comes to me when you're, you're talking about the historical context is something that you shared earlier uh, when we were discussing the show is that whole sense that of industrial revolutions taking place and yet a 50 year, you know, time period mm -hmm. before they really sink in. So right. even though it was in the 1880s, mm -hmm. it had seeds in 1820. Right. Of things Absolutely. That were happening. Yeah. When the, when the first factories uh, were introduced in the 1810s and 20s, uh, when the first time clocks were introduced in the 1830s, when steam-powered machinery was introduced, when a division of labor. One of my favorite examples is the shoe industry. And in the 18—because I'm a good New England boy at heart. <laughs> and in the 1820s, an artisan shoemaker— made a whole pair of shoes and he would start out by drawing your feet and then making a pair of shoes that exactly fit your feet. By the time we get to the 1860s and 1870s, there are 60 different jobs involved in the manufacture of a single pair of shoes. And no longer is there one craftsman. Not at all. Mm -hmm. um, but these are all at whatever end of history you are, people mm -hmm. who are working hard, mm -hmm. people who see work as a way, if, if you think of the name shoemaker, mm -hmm. the name tailor, oh, sure. you know, that, that these the are at the business. core, <laughs> yes. at the core of people's beings and identities, the, the work that they did. Mm -hmm. and, and so to be seen as a citizen uh, because of the work that you do and, and, you know, how that shifts at, at the time of the the adoption of the Constitution in, in the late 1780s, the idea that citizenship would be reflected in property ownership, not because they thought only wealthy people should be citizens, but they thought that if you didn't have property, you couldn't be self-employed. If you weren't self-employed and somebody controlled how you earned your living, they might control how you were going to vote, and how that changed in the 1830s and 1840s when fewer and fewer workers were self-employed. Mm -hmm. And so the sense of citizenship being tied to working collectively and not just working individually. So that 
those transformations in the way work was organized became linked to transformations in immigrants coming to America and who would do the work. And so someone who had been a farmer in Ireland or a farmer in Germany um, coming to the United States and finding a relatively unskilled job in a factory as a way to earn a living and to build a better future. And discovering that the best way to build a better future was by organizing together with other workers in that workplace, whether they spoke other languages, whether they worshipped other religions, whether they ate other foods, that they were all united by working in that shop together, working in that factory together, and dealing with the unequal power that existed in that workplace between the employer on the one hand and his representatives, the foremen or even overseers, mm -hmm. and the fellow workers who, who were in the same boat. And it took virtually half a century for those changes that began in the 1810s and 1820s and 30s to get to the point that a labor movement in the 1880s makes the eight-hour day a unifying demand, a vision of a different way of organizing life, life with respect, and life in mutuality with other workers with whom you're working. It took that long to get to that point. Well, I want to continue our conversation in our next segment and talk about the second industrial revolution and the third industrial revolution that we're living with. And the idea that, that again, you shared earlier with me that, that immigrants brought mutuality. They mm -hmm. brought that sense of, and, and that can be scary to some people when we have that culture mm -hmm. war uh, mm -hmm. going on of individualism versus mutualism. But uh, we have seen the benefits of when we work together. We right. all do better. Right. So stay with us. Second segment coming up on Industrial Revolutions. Mark your calendars for September 30th to attend the first ever Undemo Day event, a celebration of big ideas hosted at the Palace Theater in St. Paul from 6 to 8 p.m. This unique event will feature six rising stars in our community as they share their journey of entrepreneurship. This event is brought to you by Lunar Startups and powered by Knight Foundation. Lunar Startups is helping women and people of color scale high-growth businesses by connecting founders to customers and capital. Learn more and register for this free event at LunarStartups.org. I'm Connie Bjork, co-host of Awakened Living Infusion radio show. Join Michelle Kitzmiller and I as we focus on all aspects of health, wellness, spirituality, and growth from a mind, body, spirit, emotion perspective. Join us next Saturday as we discuss medications, which are safe, which should you avoid, and the role drug companies play. You can be proactive and create a healthier lifestyle. Join us for the Awakened Living Infusion radio show, Saturdays at 10 a.m. Let us share with you ways to infuse vitality into life. Finding a lawyer is incredibly stressful. It can be tough to know where to start. So start with the Hennepin County Bar Association. They can connect you with over 200 thoroughly vetted qualified attorneys practicing in over 50 areas of law. Not sure if you need an attorney or what type of attorney to request? The referral counselors at Hennepin County Bar Association can help. Call 612-752-6666 or search for Hennepin County Bar Association. The right call for the right lawyer. In today's challenging world, many of us are asking, but what can I do? I'm Gail Shore with Cultural Jambalaya, and I asked the same question, so I formed a small nonprofit to try to make a difference. We create educational videos featuring my global photography and cultural experiences that we offer to teachers without charge to broaden worldviews of their students. These videos help to break down cultural barriers and promote understanding and respect for all people. That's what we do. We also know that there are many others doing great work, and we recognize them at our annual Diversity Awards. This year, we'll celebrate students from Stillwater, Asian American leaders, and educators from South St. Paul and Rochester. The Cultural Jambalaya Diversity Awards will take place Thursday, October 3rd at the Metropolitan in Golden Valley. And while tickets for the Cultural Jambalaya are now sold out, you can still follow along what's happening by going to their social media accounts. Just search Cultural Jambalaya or visit their website at culturaljam.org. That's culturaljam.org. 
I'm Peter Rackler from the Eastside Freedom Library, and I'd like to tell you about an historic place on Payne Avenue, Brunson's Pub. Experience history and passion through the delicious menu, reflecting the East Side's diversity. The choices are limitless. Salads, sandwiches, burgers, and shareable plates. Visit Brunson's Pub at 956 Payne Avenue and grab a discounted gift card when you mention that you're an AM 950 listener or a supporter of the East Side Freedom Library. Be sure to check out Brunson'sPub.com. If you're listening on Monday, it's the Minnesota Progressive Repartee. Uh, we are dual broadcasting. We're going to be doing it both on Saturday as well as on Monday to to look at, examine, question, celebrate, learn about Labor Day. Uh, and what better person to teach us about Labor Day is the co-executive director of the Eastside Freedom Library. He does join us every first Saturday of the month as my co-host. But on this uh, show, we're taking a, a little deeper dive into looking at the history of Labor Day, the future of Labor Day, and, and where are we right now? And in my last, our last segment, we were uh, talking about how this all began, we went all the way back to 1820, yeah. and then the fruits of the work in the 1820 ended up in the 1880s. Um, then something happened that, that flourished in the 20s and 30s. So tell me about the second industrial revolution. The assembly line, I believe, is right. the, the right. key. Right. So, you know, I think that history is not the study of the past, mm -hmm. that history is the study of change, mm -hmm. um, and that nothing stays uh, the same forever. And and so not only did President Cleveland come up with a strategy to shift Labor Day from the workers' choice of May Day to a government-sanctioned holiday in September, um, but factory owners, entrepreneurs, bankers, businessmen um, developed a new vision of how to reorganize work. Uh, inspired by a guy named Frederick Winslow Taylor and, and his idea of scientific management. And efficiencies. Efficiencies. <laughs> time studies. Yep, time <laughs> studies. And implemented by Henry Ford, yes. um, who really introduced the assembly line to the United States and, and then to the world. And, and so work that had been done in factories got changed yet again. Um, de-skilled uh, even further. Um, and uh, so by the time we get to 1910 and Ford opens the River Rouge plant, there are 60,000 workers employed under one roof. And if any of them are absent... No car comes off the assembly line. Oh, my goodness. All the work all interdependent. is all interdependent, yeah. which is not only a way to de-skill work, but it's also a way to give workers the opportunity to have some power mm -hmm. um, if, if they can unite together. Mm -hmm. And so that process of uniting and took more than a generation. Um, it was a question then of uniting workers who had come from Poland, Ukraine, Russia, Italy, and African Americans and, and whites who had come from the American South. Um, and so racism had to be dealt with, not just language differences and diversity, but hierarchy and culture and culture among among workers themselves. And and that took well into the 1930s um, before we start to see workers creating new strategies and tactics, industrial unions rather than craft unions, sit-down strikes rather than conventional Is picket lines. Is this also the time of the Iron Range when it started? Or was it well, even the, earlier? the Iron Range was even earlier, around mm -hmm. the time of World War I, mm -hmm. um, and yet— uh, so there was the Iron Range strike of 1916, mm -hmm. which was heroic and dramatic, but and also failed. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it was not until the mid-1930s that those immigrant miners and their children ultimately unionized the mines of northern Minnesota. So we talk a lot about 1916, but that first contract doesn't come until 1937. So, so we see this period of time that it takes to develop the right structures, the right strategies, um, the right narrative and, and vision. Um, and that ultimately 
has a tremendous impact on the United States and introduces, provides a foundation for Keynesian economics, for the idea that we can grow our economy by boosting demand. And so the workers who make cars should be able to buy cars. The, the workers Ford, who the build Ford, yeah, houses exactly. should be able to own houses. And, and it's... If Which we is don't, a, a seek for equality. Absolutely. Yeah. But if we don't learn this in school, we we think that there was something called the American dream and maybe George Washington started it. <laughs> With his uh, apple tree. <laughs> well, yeah. And and you know, and that and that was consistently what went on. And and that's not true. Yeah. It was I, fought for. It yeah. was fought for. I have a former student who uh, Ryan Murphy, who teaches at Earlham College in Indiana, um, who is now doing research on the idea of a vacation. Hmm. And he is going to remind us all that the concept of a vacation for working class Americans did not exist until after World War II. Wow. So, you know, these And are, that was the 1950s, you know, dream, right, you know, the right, suburban home, the right. station wagon and, you know, cross-country trips right, for a vacation. Right. So and that we didn't those, have that before then. Right. We certainly did not have them before then. And we're learning today that, you know, they having them as fragile mm -hmm. and that and we're seeing with what's happening to the ability to pay rent the ability to own homes the ability to send your kids to college that many things that 20 and, years and ago were taken for granted be able to rent an apartment a minimum right. wage there's right. no apartment available anywhere in this country that someone for should, someone on a minimum yeah. wage yeah. right so you know we're we are at what i would like to suggest is a kind of third industrial revolution in the United States that's happening both in the way that work is organized uh, with this emergence of the so-called gig economy and workers who are being treated as independent contractors and, um, and, and maybe have multiple jobs in order to try to pay the bills. And none of those jobs provide benefits or economic security. Right. With the independent contractor, you're, you're on your own, yeah. you know, it, it's, can be a nice deal, but it doesn't really extend the the full relationship and what's owed to the worker. Right. And it also plays on that narrative of individualism. Mm -hmm. And so how do the Uber and Lyft drivers figure out how to organize together? Do they? And, and they are. I mean, it's happening in New York. It's happening in San Francisco and Los Angeles. It is happening in places. They are figuring this out. In Silicon Valley, people are figuring this the out. The tech folks are going, right. wait a minute. Right. Yeah. So, you know, standing on my own two feet doesn't make sense, mm -hmm. doesn't work. Unless I have, like the guy in the White House, inherited a yeah. tremendous amount of wealth that allows me to appear to be independent. But there's a lot of misunderstanding about the unions. And one of the articles that you suggest mm -hmm. that I read um, had an individual that really questioned into, you know, is this just helping the sort of the lazy person, you know, get money? And, you know, it's not really for me. I'm I'm a much higher wage earner. It's not really, for, you know, what I need. This is place is a good place for me. Why would I right. need to unionize? Right. And his journey was really one of discovery of how important unions right. are. And also, you know, I think history gives us an interesting answer to that question. Mm -hmm. Um we are marking the 400th anniversary of the first arrival of enslaved Africans to the United States. Mm -hmm. And that occasioned the New York Times doing a remarkable job uh, producing a special issue of the magazine and a special supplement two weeks ago about what has the role of slavery been in the development of the United States? And how have we depended on that economy? And, right. And and I think if we look back to what went on on slave plantations, where enslaved people fought to pick the song leader because they wanted someone who would set a pace that the oldest and the youngest could keep up with, mm. as well as the most physically able. So... You know, any of us who think we're able to stand on our own two feet and that's all we need, um, give it a few more years, get a little older, um, and you'll discover that you could be tossed out on your ear in an at-will environment, mm -hmm. that you need to be organized together with other people to set the conditions under which you're working. And we're seeing that happen again now. 
And that's one of the reasons to mark Labor Day Absolutely. as a good day for us to honor and respect and celebrate. And we're going to, in our next segment, talk about future possibilities. What can labor look like in the future? And you have a very optimistic view. Yes. A very powerful, yes. optimistic, we can do better and we will do yep. better. Yep. Uh, so stay with us. We're, we're talking about labor on Labor Day and the Saturday before. <laughs> I'm Peter Rackler from the Eastside Freedom Library, and I'd like to tell you about an historic place on Payne Avenue. Brunson's Pub is a place where history and passion are a part of every detail, starting with the menu. The Payne Phelan neighborhood arose from Dakota people who lived here for hundreds of years and pioneering immigrant communities, Irish, Swedes, German, and Italians, who made the Eastside their home. More recently, waves of new residents from Asia, Latin America, and Africa continue the rich immigrant history and are revitalizing the community's cultural life and economy. Come experience Brunson's Pub at 956 Payne Avenue and grab a discounted gift card when you mention that you're an AM950 listener or a supporter of the Eastside Freedom Library. Be sure to check out Brunson'sPub.com. This is New Beginnings, hosted by award-winning broadcaster and speaker, Freddie Bell. Freddie, this generation of the baby boomers, people are living longer, so the baby boomers are taking care of elderly parents. Let's talk about your health, and specifically, let's talk about Medicare. Our show features the concerns of America's 78 million baby boomers in employment, finance, health and nutrition, and even entertainment. Join us for New Beginnings, Saturday mornings at 11, brought to you in part by Vision Loss Resources. Hi, this is Chad from AM950. Snap Construction is arguably the most well-reviewed roofing, siding, window, and insulation contractor in the metro. Ryan is so excited about working with AM950 and our listeners that he wants to help us grow. This is Ryan, owner of Snap Construction. I was friends with Chad long before I started marketing with him. I was a bit skeptical of radio advertising before Chad convinced us to run ads. The advertising's been so successful, we want to help the station grow. We've absolutely loved working with the listeners of AM950, and we all know how extreme extremely important this radio station is to the community. To help AM950 grow this summer, Snap Construction will be putting up proceeds to assist the station in marketing on social media. Snap Construction encourages you to follow, engage, share, and interact on the AM950 social media platforms. Together, we can all work to ensure AM950 continues to thrive and grow in our communities. We stand by our work with a lifetime craftsmanship guarantee. For a free estimate or more information on our financing, call 612-333-SNAP or check us out online. Have you ever wondered what it's really like to start and run a business as a woman or as a person of color? Hear the real stories from six startup founders that are part of the Lunar Startups Incubator Program, which, in partnership with the Knight Foundation, helps women and people of color create the next Fortune 500 businesses of tomorrow. Join me, Caroline Karanja, CEO of 26 Letters, and five other amazing companies on Monday, September 30th at the Palace Theater in downtown St. Paul from 6 to 8 p.m. to hear these stories of hardship and triumph. Grab your free ticket at lunastartups.org. With your AM 950 weather, I'm Hunter Hawes. Saturday, cloudy with a high near 68. Sunday, chance of showers, high near 62. And Monday, rain with a high near 66. Standard Heating and Air Conditioning's triple saving sale gives you three ways to save up to $2,500 on a new furnace and AC this September. Learn more about these great savings at standardheatingdeals.com. Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, comfort you deserve. radio show. And if you're listening on Monday, welcome back to Minnesota Progressive Repartee. Uh, we are talking about labor and Labor Day and its place in history in looking at the history of unions as well as its place today and its place tomorrow. And in this segment, we're going to really be looking at uh, where are we today and where are the future possibilities? And we've got um, no better person to help share insights with us on this uh, than Peter Ratcliffe, who is my co-host on the first Saturdays of the month. But he is also the co-executive director of the Eastside Freedom Library and has um, a long history at McAllister in teaching history and running that department. So we're glad you're here. 
I'm glad to be here, Lori. So, Peter, we were talking about the first and the second Industrial Revolution. Mm -hmm. We started on the third. uh, The the 70s were an interesting time in our history. We we had the 50s where we had vacation coming, eight-hour days. We're still Mm -hmm. being honored. We were able to buy our homes. We were living the dream. But something happened in the 70s that started to make a shift. Uh, Share with us what you saw. Well, I think that... Keynesian economics began to run into macro difficulties. Um, We began to see both inflation and relatively high levels of unemployment at the same time. And we saw employers and politicians of a certain stripe try to figure out how to get out of what seemed to them to be a conundrum that the tools of Keynesianism were no longer providing the kind of economic growth that they wanted to see. Um, And they began to move in the direction of what now, with hindsight, economists and historians are calling neoliberalism. Mm -hmm. So to really – to move away from the idea that demand would generate growth, that if workers could be consumers – uh, then the economy could grow. Um, to but we a, did see evidence that that oh, happened. Absolutely. But, and, and interestingly, we also saw by the 1970s the greatest narrowing of inequality that the United States had ever experienced. And so some of it was not only about judging how to produce macroeconomic growth, but some of it was also about a kind of Class war, you know, the mm-hmm. Doug Fraser, the head of the auto workers union at, at that time, said that there was a one-sided class war going on in the United States, that mm-hmm. the wealthy were looking for ways to become wealthier. Yeah. And, and of course, we have seen the results of that um, with the United States now becoming one of the most unequal advanced industrial societies in the world. And so an attack on the labor movement and a reorganization of the way work was being structured grew as an agenda as we moved into the Reagan years and and we get the attack on unions, the the firing of the air traffic controllers by President Reagan in 1981. Um, Really breaking the unions back. Really. And the the Hormel strike here in Minnesota in 85-86 where a company which had really been built by the hard work of of its workers turned on those workers and turned on the community and, and said, what will you give us? Um, if we keep a factory here and what will you give us if we allow you to work here in some of the dirtiest, hardest work that anybody can be asked to do. So that turning point in the 80s um, has, has led to a diminished percentage of the workforce that's unionized. 6% in the private industry? Uh, right. 11% right. Percent overall. Overall. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's kind of flip-flopped the role of public sector employees in contrast to mm-hmm. private sector employees and 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 it's generated a narrative in which people like you and me are supposed to think of ourselves because we're taxpayers as the employers of public mm-hmm. employees and so if we could cut their wages and benefits our taxes would go down and and of course none of those things ever really happen mm-hmm. but but those become the visions that percolate um, throughout the society and sort of the uh, Anne Rand, you know, absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps yeah. again. That again, whole individualism right. versus right. mutualism. And and yet, you know, at the this is going on not just in the United States, but increasingly going on around the world. Mm-hmm. And the consequences of these kinds of changes in Southeast Asia, in East Africa, in Central America, um, lead to social conflict, civil war. Uh, the rise of gangs, the idea that manufacturing drugs is a way to make a living, and it becomes a source of pushing people to leave, and they become the newest wave of immigrants to the United States. So, like the Irish and Germans who came in the early 19th, and Swedes who came in the early 19th century, or the Southern, Central, and Eastern Europeans who came in the late 19th century, so for the last 30, 40 years, it has been people from Southeast Asia, Central America, and East Africa who are becoming the new 
workforce and who are doing the work in nursing homes and in private homes as personal care assistants, are doing the work in these massive warehouses that corporations like Amazon run. And, and they are, on the one hand, bringing with them an experience of and a valuing of mutualism because that was how they were raised. That's the and culture. That's how they got there. That's how they got how here. Absolutely. Is through supporting each other. Supporting each other. Now, getting back to the, your theory, though, mm. about the 50-year. So yes. we're, we're about to reap some of the benefits, don't you think, of the 50-year that started in the 70s? What what can be the future now? Absolutely. You know, And, and what and, does that look like? And I think that, that as in the past, where a new labor movement was built by workers from new cultures having arrived in the United States and and having gotten settled in and confronting the new ways that work was organized. So whether that was the factories of the 1870s and 80s or whether those were the assembly lines of the 1930s and 40s or whether it is the nursing homes and hospitals and school rooms um, and Amazon warehouses of of the 2000 and teens and 20s. And, and so it's a very similar structural situation. It will take imagination and creativity, but it also will take a rededication to the values of mutualism that we all do better when we all do better. And, and we are seeing, this is why I'm, optimistic that that I'm not here to cry about the demise of the labor movement of the 60s and 70s. I'm here to talk about how history encourages us to look for and see the seeds of the labor movement of the future being made by people with similar resources and similar challenges as our grandparents faced and as the grandparents, great-grandparents of our neighbors faced in, in earlier 50 years or more or 100 years ago. And we see that Bernie's got workplace democracy mm-hmm. uh, and has put a policy together looking at the workplace democracy program that has a lot of ambitious ideas right. that, so the, that's a call to action. Right. And it's, it's not just about stopping the bleeding. You know, mm-hmm. let's end the hemorrhaging. But and it's instead, not just anti-Trump. And it's not just anti-Trump. It's about do we have a vision of the kind of society that we would like to live in? And how are unions one of the critical institutions that will get us to realizing that vision? So health care for all environmentally sound jobs and economic development, the so-called Green New Deal. Which has Um, got a lot of people's support. Yes. I mean, and it's still vague in many Mm -hmm. ways, but it's suggesting that we can walk and chew gum at the same time, Mm -hmm. that we can talk about economic development and we can talk about respecting the environment and, and dealing with the climate crisis. We can do both of those things. Not only can we do both of those things at the same time, but we have a better chance of success if we try to do both of those things at the same time. And respect the worker is all part of that. You of know, course. What's well, the worker opportunity? And sure. What, what's the worker's responsibility? And, and, and how do unions support all of those things? Yeah. And, and generate a richer life on the job and in the community than a whole generation of workers have had to deal with since the election of Ronald Reagan. Has the term union become demonized to the point where people don't really even understand it? You know, should it be a different word like community? I mean, this is com- or mutualism a- a- as a term, or is the there is a power in historically honoring the term union? Sure, I as a labor historian, I'd have to stick with that, but <laughs> I do think that that we need to have discussions about values. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've tended to shy away from that. We've tended to be more instrumentalist and means focused and political really, advocacy yes. or bringing new members in seems to have divided some other unions in the past. What's mm-hmm. the role? What's the vision? What pulls people together? Yeah. And, and I think that when, when we see what unions in our community today, like, 
the SEIU Healthcare Minnesota Union or SEIU Local 26 or Minnesota Nurses Association or when when we see what the building trades are doing in their efforts to bring immigrant workers including women into the jobs of cement masons pile drivers carpenters, bricklayers. We've been blessed at the Eastside Freedom Library to, to host a union job fair. And I watch table after table, you know, women in burkas coming to talk about becoming a cement mason and to see the apprenticeship leaders for those unions engaging with those immigrant workers and answering their questions and offering them a vision of what their lives could be like if they had a unionized, skilled job. So it, it really is a moment where new possibilities are, are emerging, and whether we're hearing them as political platforms or hearing them in conversations around pop-up tables at the Eastside Freedom Library, that that a more hopeful, optimistic vision of what the future could be and how meaningful it could be for people, I think is is percolating around us. I know we have just a short little bit left of this mm. segment, but I'd love to hear what you'd love to see mm -hmm. as a potential vision for the future. What, what would that world look like that has um, a reignited purpose around union that is more united? Well, I, th I think that, that there's been a long thread in these industrial revolutions mm -hmm. towards making work itself sort of a punishment, yes. onerous. Yeah. Um, and, and I would love to see, say, Bernie's vision of workplace democracy include discussions about how could we make work itself more of an art how could we express ourselves through the work that we do? How could we find meaning in the work that we do? And and I totally, maybe I'm a hopeless utopian, but I, I think it's possible both to have those conversations and to find ways to realize them. I think the beauty of that vision is that it honors the original, even before the first Industrial Revolution, yeah. the sense of artisanship. Absolutely. So can we go back to our roots and discover mm -hmm. our contribution as an artisan mm -hmm. and not part of uh, just a machine? A cog in a, a machine. A cog in a machine. Right. And, right. and what's the art that we bring to our work? Right. What a beautiful yeah. idea. Great for Labor Day. Great for Labor Day, the art of labor. And you're listening to AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. You may be a Connections uh, audience member on Saturday, but we also are broadcasting Monday on Labor Day uh, on Minnesota Progressive Repartee. So we're glad to be part of both of your audience worlds. And we look forward to having you join us for the next segment coming right up. Chances are, after spring cleaning, you missed a spot. A couple really big spots, like your roof and siding. Run your fingers across your siding. You'll likely get a gross residue. And your roof probably has some black streaks, too. Your roof and siding aren't always easy to clean, but they're definitely the most visible parts of your home that give it its curb appeal. So let Blue Sky Services clean your roof and siding. Blue Sky's safe soft wash method won't cause any damages and will make your home look like new. Right now, Blue Sky Services is running their summer special where you can get your whole house, roof, and siding clean starting at only $447. That's the most viewed parts of your home clean for only $447. Then mention AM950 when you call Blue Sky Services to get an additional $50 off. So get the curb appeal back on your home and call Blue Sky Services at 952-467-2447. That's 952-467-2447. Get guaranteed appliance savings from Minnesota's own Warner Stallion. Here's our winning lineup. Warner Stallion sells more brands than anyone. Their specialists help you choose what's best for you. Easy and fun. And the savings, they're guaranteed. Then save more with Warner Stallion's trusted, fast, free delivery, professional installation, and free haul-away. Join over 300,000 Minnesota homeowners. Choose Warner Stallion to be your appliance specialist before September 11th for unbeatable appliance savings. Warner Stallion. 
Registration is now open for the University of Minnesota Center for Spirituality and Healing's Mindfulness at Work Community Course, beginning on September 20th. In this online course, you'll learn what mindfulness is and isn't. You'll explore techniques that can help you respond better to stress, build connections with teammates and stakeholders, and understand how mindfulness can lead to increased attention span, decreased anxiety, and more. Brought to you by the University Center for Spirituality and Healing. Register now at csh.umn.edu. Located just north of 50th in France, the Great Wall Restaurant has provided a delicious taste of authentic Chinese cuisine since 1981. Specializing in Sichuan and Peking dishes, they offer one of the most extensive menus in the Twin Cities. Favorites include hot and sour soup, pan-fried dumplings, and mushu pork with homemade Chinese pancakes. Stop by their Edina location or call for takeout at 952-927-4439. See the full menu at greatwallrestaurant.us. We're excited for September 30th. Come and attend the first ever Undemo Day event, a celebration of big ideas hosted at the Palace Theater in St. Paul from 6 to 8 p.m. This unique event will feature six rising stars in our community as they share their journey of entrepreneurship. This event is brought to you by Lunar Startups and powered by Knight Foundation. Lunar Startups is helping women and people of color scale high growth businesses by connecting founders to customers and capital. Learn more and register for this free event at lunarstartups.org. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm Lori Fitz and I have Peter Ratcliffe as my co-host today. And we've been talking about labor on Connections Radio Show, also Minnesota Progressive Repartee on Monday. We have had a great conversation about the history of unions, um, unions today, unions, a vision for the future. What does it mean to look at labor on Labor Day and the art of labor? And on the art of labor, I'd like to have you share with us what's happening at the Eastside Freedom Library that you're a co-executive director, which I think is the embodiment of art and labor and community and mutualism. So first, I want to send a shout out to Brunson's Pub and how fortunate we are that they're on the east side and that they're part of our community. And I think as you and I have were talking before the show and during the show, um, that when working people are able to earn a decent living, they're able to support good businesses in their neighborhood. And Brunson's is a business that we should all be supporting and a place that respects and articulates the narrative of of the East Side. So I, I want to thank them on, on this Saturday uh, for their support. And Monday. And Monday as well. <laughs> Get over there. Um, there's a lot going on in the month of September at the East Side Freedom Library um, that connect with a number of the themes that we've been talking about. Um, on the front of racial justice, um, we're going to be hosting Bill Green, uh, who has just published a book called Children of Lincoln, which which focuses on what happened in Minnesota during Reconstruction. Um, too many of the narratives, the studies of Reconstruction, tell the whole story within the South. Mm-hmm. But the question really is what happened to Northern support for thoroughly reconstructing the South. Mm -hmm. And Bill's look at Minnesota in the late 1860s and early 1870s really raises some very important questions about why people that we might have called the liberals and progressives of the day turned away from pushing forward the agenda of Reconstruction. So Bill will be at the library on Thursday, Isn't that uh, September also around 5th. the time that we became a state, too? Yes. Well, we became a state just before the Civil War. Yeah. But these were people who had been abolitionists and then kind of lost interest. And it's, an, it's a story that happened all across the North, not, not just in Minnesota. Um, a week later... Uh, We're going to be screening a locally made film called For Justice Forgotten, made by a young African-American filmmaker, Philip McGraw. And it's a film about the police shootings of young African-American men and and why that's become part of the present in Minnesota and hopefully will be the basis for a conversation that will help us figure out how it should not be 
part of the future. Um, and uh, later in the month, on Sunday night, the 22nd, we're working with Black St. Paul and Black Lives Matter to host a community conversation about gun violence um, led by African-American speakers. So those are three things that we're doing on the racial justice front. On the art and labor front, I'm so excited that we're bringing this young man, uh, Benjamin Barson, who is who's very special to me. We have at the Eastside Freedom Library the book collection that was put together by Fred Ho, who was a great politically active incredibly talented baritone saxophone player who died in his late 50s of colon cancer and sent us a hundred boxes of his books. Well, Fred not only sent us his books, but in his will, he left his saxophone to this young man named Ben Barson. And Ben now lives in Pittsburgh, but he's doing a residency at the University of Wisconsin. And he and his partner, uh, Giselle Rodriguez, who have a a project that marries politics and, and jazz, is going to come on Saturday night, the 14th of September, and do a kind of presentation and performance and as a way of honoring Fred's memory and carrying on Fred's legacy. Um, and then we're continuing to partner with um, the Sodhouse Theater Company and Black Label Movement who have created a piece called the Swede Hollow Ghost Sonata, which is being performed for free outdoors in Sweet Hollow on the weekends of September 14th, 21, and 28. And anyone can come and watch their way of telling the stories, and really, as we've been talking about it, stories of both individualistic competition and mutualistic helping each other out that drove the lives of immigrants who came to the east side of St. Paul and are still coming to the east side of St. Paul. So we will be connecting the past, present, and future. We will be engaging uh, racial justice, and we will be exploring art and labor in the month of September. Look at our website, www.eastsidefreedomlibrary.org, to find out not only more details on these events, but other events that will be coming up as well. And the address is 1105 Greenbrier Street in St. Paul. It is in the east side of St. Paul. And it's a cool old library that you you can't help but fall in love with when you go there. Haunted by good ghosts. And I also know it is a labor of love for many. For many. For many. And on Labor Day, what better way to give a toast to the East Side Freedom Library. Thank you for sharing. Thank you all for listening.